game is never over till the end. Deshaun Lowe's right side. Whenever that clock strikes zero. Caught DeAndre Hopkins. Touchdown, Houston. It's Texans All Access. Texans All Access presented by Daikin, keeping Houstonians comfortable with the latest cooling and heating products designed to save energy and improve indoor air quality inside your home. Check out their outstanding limited warranties and financing options at your local dealer and learn more at DaikinLovesHouston.com. D-A-I-K-I-N LovesHouston.com. Daikin. Here's the show. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris, and so glad to be with you as we embark on a trip to Florida, trip to Tampa, Florida, take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Saturday, and looking forward to making that trip down to the Sunshine State. It's our only time to Florida this year. Usually we get one a year, sometimes two. But we at least get that Jacksonville trip every year in the division. But this year we went to London. So this, well, replaces it as our only trip to Florida. And we're going to the West Coast, not the East Coast of Florida. So a little different, but there are beaches. I would tell you there's going to be sun, but it, look, it looks like it's going to be sort of rainy. 75 and rainy, not like 40 and rainy. So beware. If you're going to the game, it could rain. And I'm narrowing down for me. That's what it's all about, right? Uh, the These are the last. I have three stadiums that I have not been to. Detroit, Chicago, those two, and handle that next year. And then Tampa. That's it. I've been, I've been to a Tampa stadium. I went to the old Sombrero way, way back. I saw the 1994 Hall of Fame Bowl there. But I have not seen a game uh, in Raymond James Stadium and looking forward to doing that on Saturday. That's another reminder Saturday, kickoff is at noon, so it's not quite college football kickoff because college football, kick, college football games kick off at 11 locally, and it'll be an hour beyond that. So just 12 o'clock right here in Houston, you got Mark, Andre, and myself on the radio call. I think on the TV call, it's going to be on NFL Network, so I don't know how it's going to work for local channels, but NFL Network is where that is. Rich Eisen's going to have the call. He had the call in London. Against the Jaguars, he will have the call on uh, Saturday. It's a it's a really good Saturday. You got us in the Bucks, the potential of us winning the AFC South. Then following that, you got Bills Patriots in Foxborough with everything on the line there for those two teams. One game separates them: eleven and three, ten and four. And then after that, you got the 49ers and the Rams. You got three tremendous games on Saturday. On top of that, you've got a full slate of bowl games. You got two bowl games Friday, and then I think you got five or six on Saturday. So it is a smorgasbord of football, but I know you'll be locked in at noon for that kickoff between the Houston Texans and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, on the show tonight, we will have our regulars, Andre Ware, Clint Sterner, in this hour. We will also have our guests. We will have Casey Phillips, who covers the Bucs, uh, she covers it for the team. She is the Tampa Bay version of D.P. Sidhu. So she caught up with D.P. Sidhu to go behind enemy sidelines. We'll have that later in the show. Drew and I talked about our uh, thoughts on this Buccaneers trip. We went down memory lane back to 2011, and we talked about some of the keys for this game against Tampa Bay. And then this one, I, I've been waiting for this one for a long time because when I was living in Florida, 
two of the three universities in Florida were playing at a pretty high level. The University of Miami and Florida State. And the play-by-play voice for University of Miami was Mark Vandermeer. The play-by-play voice for the Florida State Seminoles was Gene Deckeroff. And I used to listen to them and Mick Hubert, who was the voice of the Gators, and I would hear them all the time. That was in the state of Florida. Gene Deckeroff and Mark Vandermeer together is like taking me back. Because Gene Deckeroff does Florida State games and he does all the Buccaneer games. So he does both. He, it's a, I don't know how he does it, but he pulls it off. And so Gene Deckeroff is going to join us and talk about this Buccaneers team, talk about Florida State going to a bowl game again, and all that goes with it. So pretty excited to hear from Gene Deckeroff as our Men Behind the Mic series continues. Mark Vandermeer, the former voice of the Hurricanes. Gene Deckeroff, the voice of the Seminoles and the Bucks. They get together. That's going to be fun. So we got that for you later in the show. But let's get it going with our hot reads, and they are brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. And we will start with the news from last night, if you missed it. I don't know where you were, but if you missed this news last night, the Texans have three Pro Bowlers, all on the offensive side. DeAndre Hopkins, his fourth. Laramie Tunsil, his first and Deshaun Watson, his second. Now, I don't want to see any of them in Orlando that week. I'd like to see those guys in Miami the following week. But those three have been voted to the game. Four alternates were named. A little mix of offense, defense, and special teams. Special teams, John Weeks, long snapper. Offense, Nick Martin. And then defensively, DJ Reader and Zach Cunningham. I will tell you right off the bat, that I thought DJ, uh, I thought both DJ and Zach got robbed. Now, I went back and I looked. There are only two linebackers in the game. Darius Leonard was one, and I don't recall who the other one was. And I'm trying to think off the top of my head, I can't remember who the other one was. But they had two linebackers. That was it. Just two. So, I'm not surprised in some sense that two inside linebackers. Not surprised that Zach didn't get that that love because last year when Darius Leonard didn't make it, he made first team all pro. I would not be surprised if Zach found a way to get on the all pro teams. He's been phenomenal. And the people that vote on that are the writers that watch these teams and so hopefully that happens. With DJ, when I looked at the interior guys, it really is they're they're more pass rushing guys. It was Chris Jones, Cam Hayward, there's not a guy that does it all like DJ on that list. So that it's, it's unfortunate that DJ and Zach didn't get named to it. But they got named as alternates, and they're going to be guys that drop out, and hopefully those guys are going to be right in line uh, to take those spots because they've had fantastic years. But congratulations to all those guys, to Laramie and to Hop and to Deshaun for making the game and then being named alternates. Weeksy, Nick Martin. Zach Cunningham and DJ Reader. Congratulations to all those guys who have had really good seasons thus far. All right, let's get to our next hot read. And it is a little bit of news about a player of the week, Angelo Blackson. This is fantastic stuff, man. I'm, I'm really happy for Angelo. He was named the AFC, Def- I'm sorry, special teams player of the week. That block field goal 
came at a huge time. Huge time. He was named the AFC Special Teams Player of the Week. Now, this, it's such a cool honor. We had a chance to see Angelo a little bit earlier because he recorded with DP in here. So he just kind of played it down. He's kind of shy and sheepish about it. But, man, that's really, really cool stuff. Here's what makes it even, to me, even neater. This marks Houston's fifth Player of the Week award this season, which is the most in a single season in franchise history. Angelo blocked that 45-yard field goal. It was the first block of for the Texans of a field goal attempt since Jared Crick did it in 2015. And I racked my brain when I heard, I was like, Carolina 2015, man, I don't remember that. And then I remembered it was Jared Crick. Then I remember. It took me a little while to, to come to grips on that. But Angelo wins his first Player of the Week honors. So this year, you've had Angelo Blackson in Week 15. You had Deshaun Watson in Weeks 3, 5, and 13. He is the only player to win it, the Player of the Week award, three times in the season for the Texans. And then you had Whitney Merciless, who won it in Week 2, after his game against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, to put it in perspective, last year, the Texans had three Player of the Week honors. Ironically, Kaimi Fairbairn won it for special teams in Week 15 last year. So, got a little bit of symmetry there, which is kind of nice. So, you had three winners in 18. You had two in 17. You had three in 16. You had three in 15. Um, JJ accounted for two of those in 15, and Hop was the other one. You had four and 14. You had Fitzy winning one in week 13. But this year you've had it done five times with two weeks left to go. So congratulations to Angelo Blackson for being named the AFC Special Teams Player of the Week. All right, let's get to our next hot read. And, of course, during the week, it is the injury report. Now, there is some news on the Bucks side, and we'll get to that in a second, that deals with injuries, and so you won't see it on the report. But let's get to this. The Texans, similar to yesterday, did not participate. Jacob Martin, Bernardrick McKinney, Jacob dealing with a knee, BMAC dealing with that concussion. I don't, oh man, I, I, I don't like speculating injuries, but seeing them for two days in a row uh, worries me a little bit about being available for Saturday, but we'll see. But added to the DNPs today, DeAndre Hopkins dealing with illness. And I know that's kind of been going around in the building. I know it's been going around from, from my family, my daughter at home. Uh, I know for Mark, he talked about his son. So the illness thing kind of going around for a lot of people. And like Hop's got it. Carlos also, Carlos Hyde also did not participate, deal with the ankle slash non-injury related. Jalil Adai did not participate yesterday, but he did participate in a limited uh in a limited capacity today. So not a, not a ton to get stressed about today. I would imagine the status report comes out tomorrow, so we'll know more about who's in, who's out. And my guess initially is that with Jacob and with BMAC, if they didn't participate either these two days, we may not have a chance to see them on Saturday. But we'll see uh, what happens tomorrow. Now, on the Buccaneers' side, the news that came out of there is that Mike Evans, Pro Bowl, just voted the Pro Bowl last night. In fact, the Bucks got two wide receivers. They were all they were all NFC South receivers. It was Julio Jones and Michael Thomas, 
along with the two receivers from the Bucks, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. Now, Mike Evans placed on IR today. So, his season, over. You had Scotty Miller, who had a touchdown. I think it was the first touchdown of the game on a deep over route. He is also put on IR. He was put on IR yesterday. So, Scotty Miller, wide receiver yesterday, hamstring. Today, Mike Evans put on IR, hamstring. So, they're out, done. You also had Jordan Whitehead, safety, starting safety, second-year starting safety. He went on IR. So what does that leave, and where does that leave the Bucks? Well, on the DNP side, and now I'm going to get to the Goodwin part of this. Bo Allen, nose tackle, Tanner Hudson, they missed with an ankle and concussion, respectively. Also a DNP was Chris Godwin. Now, the thought all along of everything that I've read coming out of that game last week against Detroit where Godwin needed kind of some help to get off the field and they took him off on a cart with a hamstring is that there's no way that he would be ready to go. I thought that with Mike Evans, and then when they didn't put him on IR right away, I thought, well, maybe. Well, then they put him on IR today, and they put Scotty Miller on yesterday. I don't know if that means that they'll hold out hope that maybe Godwin could play Saturday. All Everything that I've read said they do not think that Godwin will be ready to go for Saturday or for the rest of the year at that matter. So why wouldn't you put him on IR? I don't know. Maybe you're trying to hold out hope. Maybe there is some hope that he could play in Week 17. I don't know. But Chris Godwin and Mike Evans may not play in this game. So we'll find out more tomorrow, the status report. But that's the that's two, that's 50% of the NFC Pro Bowl receivers that potentially could be out of this one. And also their good slot receiver, Scotty Miller, who can fly. So they could be without those three guys and a starting safety in Jordan Whitehead. What that does mean for the secondary is that you may have three rookies starting in the secondary against the Sean Watson and company. Now, Hop's been sick, and hopefully he's able to, to get back. But it could be a tough day for that secondary of the Bucks having to face DeAndre Hopkins, Kenny Stills, and Will Fuller potentially. So they're going to have their hands full. Brashad Perriman was fantastic last week for the Tampa Bay Bucks, but he goes from being the number three, even number four option to being the option in the wide receiver core. Justin Watson from out of Penn and Ivy Leaguer, he's going to see some time. He's a bigger wide receiver. And then you got a couple of guys that, I mean, they just added Sorrell Grayson from a practice squad. Now he can fly. He's a hurdler. He's a track guy. But he's not the receiver that Chris Goddard and Mike Evans are. And he's not big and physical like those guys. They still have Jameis Winston, but he's been dealing with a right thumb and a knee. So he was limited today. Also limited today was left tackle Donovan Smith. He missed the game on Sunday against the Detroit Lions. So he went from a DNP on Tuesday to limited on Wednesday. We'll see if he's going to be ready to go. So Mike Evans goes to IR. Chris Godwin, a DNP, so the receiver core banged up in a big way in Tampa Bay, and then left tackle Donovan Smith, who missed the game, did come back in a limited capacity today, but Jameis Winston is also dealing with that right thumb and knee, so he it was limited today at practice as well. So, Buccaneers banged up. The Texans, not as banged up, but it's key guys that they're dealing with. Now, I'm... With injuries, 
there have been a couple of times this year where I feel like, okay, they're not going to have this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. And then all of a sudden, that opposing team plays extremely well. So you got to show up and play with whatever's there. But the, the Buccaneers, without Mike Evans and potentially without Chris Godwin, that passing game is going to turn into the Cam Brait slash O.J. Howard show. And you just have to be able to adjust and take away those guys the way you took away Julian Edelman and put the focus on other guys trying to get up to speed with Jameis Winston, which they've been trying to do, but that's a little tougher uh, said than done. So there you go. There is your injury report. And those are your hot reads brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. Coming up, it's our good friend Andre Ware to talk about everything about this Texans team and this trip to Tampa this weekend. Next, Texans All Access. Welcome back to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris, your host, football analyst and sideline reporter. And it's time for a note to my teachers. All my Houston area teachers out there, I am looking for you, and this is for you. It's my holiday gift to you, if you will. You want to bring a little Texas football to your classroom? Then sign up for Toro's Math Drills, presented by ConocoPhillips. Toro's Math Drills is a video series designed to help third and fourth graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. Go to HoustonTexans.com slash Toro's Math Drills to learn more. I know you hear that and you go, yeah, yeah, John, you, you talk about that every week. I know, but... I cannot emphasize to you enough, getting through to kids that don't quite understand math but love sports, this is one way to get through to them, to help them learn things that they might already be doing. They might be watching a game at home and go, you know what, Deshaun is you know, 10 of 12 passing. Hey, what does that relate to a percentage to us? They'll, they'll dive into that kind of thing. I'm telling you they will. I did it with 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th graders. They loved it when I would bring sports into the conversation and actually would help them learn. So, Houston area teachers, Toros Matros has got you covered. All right, it's time to hear from our good friend, Andre Ware. He last week spent some time up at the Heisman Trophy ceremony that he came to Nashville to see the Texans win. Looking forward to getting to Tampa Bay to see the Buccaneers and fellow Heisman winner, Jameis Winston. Here's Dre with Mark. Dre, short week. It's not like a Thursday night week, but it's still kind of a short week, which I think has to be somewhat of a challenge this time of year for these guys, both teams really, because of the wear and tear on the bodies. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, when you when you play a Sunday Thursday turnaround, and that's tough in itself uh, at the time of year in which most teams are doing it. But to to get to a Sunday Saturday, you know, there's everyone will say, well, there's two extra days. But at this point in the year, nobody's a hundred percent. And you need every single day of rest that you can get, which is a surprise to me that uh, that games are actually played this late in the season um, on a Saturday. It's, it's just a tough thing from a, a player standpoint to, to get your body turned around uh, and, and ready to play. Well, we went from the Patriots game to what happened against Denver and then a bounce back to what happened against the Titans and I can't think that they would have some sort of a letdown performance, if you will, on Saturday because of what just happened with Denver and because they know that a division title is right there, the crosshairs, if they win on Saturday. What do you think? Yeah, I agree because, you know, you know that if you take care of business on Saturday against Tampa Bay, uh, you pretty much get an off week before the playoffs start. And you, you wrap up the, the division, uh, everything is in hand, and then uh, you can rest some players and, and, uh, and so on and so forth. So I'd imagine that uh, they're going to have their best stuff and prepared, very much so prepared, to go out and do business on Saturday. 
Carlos Hyde gets over 1,000 yards in the victory against the Titans, has over 100 yards. What about him, Andre? You and I have always kind of liked this guy, and I remember watching him when the Texans practiced against the 49ers out on the West Coast in 2016. And here he is doing this when a lot of teams had a shot at him and didn't take him, but the Texans wanted him, and he's paying dividends. What do you think of Carlos this year? Yeah, it just kind of goes to show you that if you just kind of keep your head down and keep working, that at some point someone's going to notice you. And uh, that's exactly what happened with, with Carlos. He's always been a tough runner. You get his very best on every single carry. I mean, there is no plays off whatsoever, whether he's in the game to run the football or pass protect or even catch it out of the backfield for that matter. But those things tend to show up on film. Coaches notice it. He got an opportunity, and the thing that's most important is when you get the opportunity, what do you do with it? And and he took it, took the baton, and certainly ran with it to the tune of over a thousand yards, and and really provided the punch all all season long uh, in the running game for this the Texans offensively. All right, so here's Tampa Bay and Jameis Winston. We've followed his career pretty closely. Florida State national champion and number one pick in the draft of the Buccaneers. He's trying to hang on there or get a job somewhere else. What is happening with him and Bruce Arians? It looks like they have the right chemistry, the right combination of coach and quarterback here as he's lighting it up lately. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think, Mark, that uh, he's hitting stride at the right time. You know, he, he, as you say, is playing basically for a job somewhere, whether it's in Tampa or somewhere else. And I think it's taken him a little while to get used to a new offensive system, a new play caller to go along with that. And uh, he's finally hitting stride. They, they've won, I think it's four in a row. Uh, he is playing a, extremely well. So here you go again uh, if you're the Texans having to face a team that's on a four-game winning streak with a hot offense. And by the way, they're first against the run defensively, I think to the tune of like 79 yards. Uh, they allow on the ground. So it's going to be tough to run the football against them. That allows them to be a little more exotic when you can stop the run and then defensively come after the quarterback. That's going to be a tough one. So with Jameis, he's playing his best football, certainly at the right time, not only for uh, this year's team, but for his foreseeable future. But maybe you could throw on them because they do give up some passing yards and they do turn it over on occasion. And maybe those occasions can be frequent if you play some good D. Right. So what do you think of all that? Yeah, I, I think so. I think uh, when, when Will Fuller's healthy, that opens up everything. And it's just the threat of him uh, taking the top off the defense. And you got to really give credit to him as well. Injuries happen, but when he's in the game and he's targeted, uh, the hands are, have been certainly a bigger difference in, than previous years. When he's in the game, he's catching everything. Over-the-shoulder catches, uh, he's reading zone coverage a lot better, showing his, his body to the quarterback. He's making the tough grabs. Uh, I think he means a, 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 a big amount of difference to what the Texans can do offensively. And you're right, uh, against a team that is – if hell bent on stopping the run, you need his services so a secondary can't just sit on everything. They have to respect the speed element, and he certainly brings that. Let me get your thoughts on some other games here, Andre, as the Patriots will host the Bills right after the Texans play the Buccaneers on Saturday. It's New England and Buffalo in Foxborough. So the first meeting, low-scoring affair, Patriots won it on the road. What do you think of the Bills' chances of pulling off the upset on the road for them this time? 
I give them as good a chance as they've had in years. I mean, I know that series has been dominated uh, by the Patriots in the Bel- Belichick era, but this is a different Bills team. I mean, a team that's going to the playoffs, a team that uh, kind of controls its own destiny, so to speak, and a team that's uh, that's young and talented, and they've got nothing to lose. So I think uh, New England's going to get their very best. Uh, New England doesn't have the type of weapons that they've had in the past. It's a different makeup on offense. And uh, defensively, they're a little bit slower than they have been in previous years. So it's a young, fast uh, Bills team on both sides of the ball that should present a significant amount of problems for uh, the Patriots. Okay, Tennessee, we talked a lot about them last week, of course, and they're a pretty good team. The Texans definitely did a nice job in beating them on the road. They're still at home this week to face the New Orleans Saints, a team that just blasted the Colts on Monday Night Football. Titans fighting for their postseason lives. What do you think of this one? Yeah, you know, this one kind of scares me because it sets up a game if they're able to beat the Saints next week uh, for a – and then the Texans – don't take care of business. It'll set set up a, a matchup for the division next week. You know, Tennessee will show up. They'll play hard. They made some mistakes uh, again last week against the Texans that they're looking to uh, to amend and and uh, and sure up some things as as they get ready for next week. Okay, let's go to the NFC here. One more for you: the Packers at the Vikings on Monday night. An intriguing yeah. matchup for sure, and we know how difficult that stadium is to play in. Yeah, that's a tough one because Minnesota's got a, a a dominating defense that's fast. It can can certainly cause some problems. They're at home. Uh, they've had their share of, uh, of of good things happen on the offensive side of the ball. And then there's Green Bay, who I think they've finally gotten used to two new systems: one on offense and certainly on defense. That's a good matchup. I, I think that's a coin toss in terms of who wins that that game. Andre Ware joining us. Andre, you're doing the Academy Sports and Outdoors Texas Bowl on ESPN. and This is one of the very best bowls out there attendance-wise, and this matchup is terrific with the Aggies and Oklahoma State getting together. Attendance is going to be great, but it's not that way with so many of the bowls. What do you think of the college football postseason in general? Yeah, I think there are are too many bowls. I think when when 6-6 and teams are getting into bowl games, uh, you're oversaturating uh, the market for, for in terms of bowl games. As well, um, I think bowl affiliations are, are one that I would like to, to really do away with where a conference is, you know, third-place team is automatically going to this bowl. I think that's something where you could really, really generate some interest from the fans. Uh, it, all, it would also uh, force the bowls to go back and do really do their homework through the season and go out and watch teams play, so on and so forth, and, uh, and where it generates some interest. Who's really coming rather than uh, we already know pretty much who's coming. And so I, I think there needs to be a different look. Uh, we've, we've kind of gone back, and, and uh, we, now we have a playoff where we didn't have a few years ago. Uh, computers were deciding there's, there's time to, to kind of reshuffle the deck in terms of uh, how we look at bowls and how the matchups are made up. Andre, we're joining us on Texans Radio. Now, what about the uh, game itself here at NRG Stadium, yeah. Texas A&M and Oklahoma State? Early thoughts on that. We'll dig deeper next week, but what do you think right now? Yeah, I think this is one of the few bowls that have gotten they've gotten it right. I mean, it's a uh, an old Big 12 matchup with, with two teams that were in the same conference. 
two teams that can certainly put up some points and, and add some excitement uh, to uh, to the bowl season, and it's and it happens right here in our city uh, of Houston, Texas. So two good, uh, two outstanding coaches that have run some pretty dominant programs over the years, and and uh, I think this one sets up to be one of the better bowl matchups of uh, of bowl season. Okay, my friend. Well, looking forward to the trip to Tampa. Thanks a lot for the time, and let's get ready for Saturday. Let's do it. That's right. Let's do it Saturday. Let's do it up in Tampa. I know some people hear that and like, yeah, let's do it. No, 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 we're not not that. We're not not like that. And if you know anything about Tampa, you know what I'm talking about. But if you don't, don't worry about it. We're talking about the game. Talking about the game on Saturday. It's my well, – I was telling this to Drew Doherty in the locker room. It's my first time in Tampa in 20 years. The last time I was in Tampa was 1999. I took the Episcopal Eagles down to Tampa in a hurricane to take on the Berkeley Prep Buccaneers – and we won. We won. They had beaten them badly. They had beaten us badly the year before and even worse the year before that. Went down there, dropped some midline option on them, came home, got out of there before the hurricane hit, made it home. Our bus ran somebody off the road, and uh, we paid them a few bucks because they were hammered, and we got home about 3 o'clock in the morning, but we came home with a W, no rain from the hurricane, and it was all good. And hopefully – uh, we have the same kind of thing. Hopefully we don't run anybody off the road with our bus, but yeah, that would be the only thing that's different. But looking forward to this trip. My first time back to Tampa in a while. So I just want to see us win the game. That's all I care about. It doesn't matter whether that's taking place in Tampa, Miami, or Jacksonville. It doesn't matter. Just go to Florida, get a win, get home, celebrate the holidays uh, as we are AFC South champs. So week 16, here we go. All right, we get back. It's my man, Dirty Red. Clint Sterner is going to join me and talk about what he saw on Sunday against the Tennessee Titans, what he thinks about this team going forward. And it's a special day today. It started really early in the morning. What does that have to do with Clint? Well, think college. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. We'll talk about that next right here on Texans All Access. Welcome back to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris. I am joined now by my good friend. You can hear him on Sports Radio 610, 2 to 6, every single afternoon. You can hear him do our post-game show with Sean Pendergast. He is an Arkansas Razorback through and through. It is my man, Clint Sterner. Clint, how you doing, my man? Happy holidays to you, brother. Yeah, same to you, man. All, all is well. Again, man, the, the Texans get a big W when they needed it the most, and, and uh, they're one step closer to that, that playoff goal and, and uh, being able to have another opportunity to make a run at the big dance, man. So all is well. Clint, just your overall thought of what the Texans did Sunday going to Tennessee. It wasn't perfect by any means, and I'm sure we'll talk about you know the two turnovers down in, in the red zone, in the end zone, actually. Uh, for this team, but going to Tennessee, taking on a hot team, and coming off that game to Denver, and going up there, getting a win, doing some doing some good things offensively in the second half to really kind of answer what the Titans had done. What do you think overall what the Texans did last Sunday? Well, I, I, one, I think you went into a hostile environment on the road, a loud, loud environment with versus a very hot team, a very dangerous team that was, with the, with the exception of their field goal kicker, they're, they're really solid. Uh, across the board, and and uh, they they had the opportunity the Titans do to to really take advantage of every mistake that you make and every opportunity you give them. And so, uh, you know, those teams are scary this time of year, man. And and I thought it was, I thought all in all, it was a great job by the Texans going in and getting a W, man. They overcame some adversity, which I think throughout the season, uh, you know, we got a good sample size of 
of times when adversity struck and the team hasn't answered, the team hasn't responded, and they've settled for uh, a loss sometimes and sometimes an embarrassing loss. And uh, this was a, a good rebound game for the Texans because, as you said, everything wasn't perfect. There was plenty of opportunities to, to get your dauber down and, and, and maybe let Tennessee get back in this thing. But the Texans answered the bell every single time. They won, and they won when they weren't hitting on all cylinders. Uh, on the road, and that's always a good thing. Yeah, there's no no question about getting a win on the road, especially at this time of year. Clint, let's dive into what you saw from Deshaun Watson and, and throwing the football. Had the two mistakes, the two interceptions, and I heard you actually talking about this yesterday. Um, I, I thought it was intriguing to listen to you talk about the two interceptions that Deshaun threw. The first one, you know, he throws into seemingly a cover two hole. He threw it late. He didn't see Duke till late. Kenny Vaccaro makes a really nice interception. And the pop pass, you you said it perfectly, so I don't want to steal your thunder, but what did you see from Deshaun with those two interceptions but then bouncing back after that and having a really clean fourth quarter after that second interception in particular? Well, here's the good thing about Deshaun Watson is the mistakes he's making are mistakes that you can that you can really teach off of. It's not, well, that was just a dumb throw or that was a that was a poor that was a poor decision or you know, that was just chalk that up to the chaos in the pocket, making a bad decision. I mean, every single one of the mistakes are mistakes that you should be able to sit down in the meeting room with Deshaun Watson and go, look, man, you saw the, you saw the, the on the first interception, you saw the safety bell to deep halves. You knew what it was. What you've got to understand is when you're in the red zone, the windows are more narrow than they are when you're in the field. And, and so that safety's sitting a little bit heavier and he can break on routes thrown underneath him a little bit quicker. And that's not something Deshaun Watson is in the video. The power is in the film. The power is in the fact that he's the one making the mistake in live action, and that's the best teacher for a quarterback. And so that was just a throw that if it were made a little bit quicker, if he just sat a little bit more patient in the pocket, processed a little bit quicker, and drove the ball on the outside pylon, then it would have been an easy catch. And we've been talking about how great of a throw it was. But instead, he gets a little antsy dances around a little bit, and he's late, and he throws it inside Duke Johnson. And, and so those are things that he can learn from and, and, and get better from. The pop pass was a trajectory. You know, the, the, the aiming spot for that throw is the crossbar. That, that throw he made, he would have missed the crossbar by four yards low. Yeah. So regardless, he's got to throw that ball up, and in worst-case scenario, it's incomplete. Best-case scenario, it's a, it's a high-point alley-oop type throw, toe-tap by – Will Fuller, touchdown Texans. So very coachable points, man, uh, on tape for, for Deshaun Watson. You know, it's interesting with that pop pass. That is a play that I think has worked every game against the Titans since Deshaun has been the quarterback. And they've thrown it to Hopkins. They've thrown it to Fuller. They've thrown it to both. They've run that play. And Jeffrey Simmons, dadgummit Jeffrey Simmons, we got to face that guy twice a year for the next how many ever years. That is a really good, good football player. Clint, I know as a quarterback, having a relationship with wide receivers – is it, it's always kind of an interesting one because I'm always intrigued by it because receivers always seem to think that they're open every single time they're on the field. I always, I always love the routes when a receiver is like two steps off the line of scrimmage. He's putting his hand up like, I'm open, bro. Throw me the football. In the game on Sunday, DeAndre Hopkins had a catch early on, and I don't think he had much other than that going into the fourth quarter and then, apparently, on the sidelines, he sort of let it be known that, hey, wait a second, I'm here, guys. You might want to throw me the football, and then he explodes in the fourth quarter. 
that relationship with a wide receiver is always kind of interesting. When you were playing quarterback, did you ever have instances where you had a receiver come over to you like, throw me the ball, and you're like, hey, you're not open, but I am open, but no, get open. Have you ever had that kind of relationship with a receiver where the receiver's like, you've got to get me the ball and you've got to get it to me now? I don't think that Hop was quite demonstrative like that, but he probably made his point to get Deshaun to throw him the football. Did you ever have that as a quarterback with a wide receiver? Yeah, man, I had a guy named Anthony Lucas that was a thousand yard receiver in the SEC. If it wasn't for injuries, he'd still be playing in the NFL today. He was about six four, he's a four three guy. I mean, he he could go, and and he was the guy that, man, if it, if he was one on one, he was open. I mean, it was very rare that he had to he had to let me know that he was open because I fed him consistently. We, you know, I mean, I was in a little different offense. We were run heavy, play action, and really between me and my go to receiver is. If they loaded the box up, I was going to him, period, point blank. This this offense that Deshaun's running is a little bit more spread than what I ran. And so I, I think one thing that was that was really impressive, uh, John, about the Tennessee Titans game was that that was a game where Deshaun was, was shook up a little bit a couple of times. He, he, he was a little unsure of what they were doing a couple of times. He was, he was fooled a couple of times, and he hung in there. And, and eventually processed it, deciphered what was going on, and made some throws. And so I would imagine that Hopkins going to him and going, hey, man, regardless of, of what you think, just stick with me. I'm open. I promise you. I'm not coming to you and telling you that I'm open and, and I'm double covered. Or, or it, this isn't a selfish act. I'm telling you I'm there in these certain kind of looks. Hang in there with me. And he did in the fourth quarter when it mattered. So there's no doubt about it. The chemistry between those two guys, and the trust really is what it is. If, if Hop was a loud mouth that just went to him all the time and wanting catches, then it wouldn't be as effective. But Deshaun can rest assured that when Hopkins comes to him and tells him to be patient in his read, that the, he's going to come open, he's coming open, then I think Deshaun trusts that, believes in it, and, and takes it to the bank. And you saw that, you saw the, process, uh, the, the product of that in the fourth quarter. Talking about our buddy Clint Sterner, Clint defensively. The Texans shut the Titans out in the first half and blocked the field goal, got a pick down at the goal line, but opportunistic to keep them to zero in the first half. They did get 21 in the second half. They kind of against a prevent defense, I guess, late in the game, got one. But overall defensively, especially against the run, it felt like they were really good. The Jonu Smith run, I mean, I don't know what happened there, but Jonu Smith caught the toss or took the toss for about 57 yards. But overall defensively, how did you feel about the way this unit performed Sunday afternoon? Well, I mean, I, I think they've done a hell of a job all year long, excluding the Broncos game. I mean, I, I think they've they've had a good plan. They've adjusted well. They've overcome adversity. They've overcome the injuries. Um, so, so really, let's. I mean, let's let's make sure the expectations are realistic. Um, I, you know, I think this week, this past week, the emphasis was on stopping the run, stopping a downhill in between the tackles, run attack, and uh, more specific. And they do a hell of a job versus that, man. There, there's there's two really concerns. I think the stats are very misleading when you look at this team versus the pass. They're 26 or 28th in total yards. They're 26 or 28 somewhere in there. They're 19th versus the run. They're 19th versus, you know, in, in, in points allowed. I, I just think that's a little bit misleading when you consider everything that they've been through and, and – and that there are some really, really good things that they do at an elite level. Stopping the run between the tackles is one of them. They are really, really good across the board with their front five. The three down linemen 
and the two outside linebackers when Brendan Scarlett's healthy. They are really, really good against the run. Now, on the flip side of that, they struggle getting pressure, so that's going to be something that's going to bite them. Uh, but but that, that all in all, man, with all things considered, J.J. Watt, no, no Jadavion Clowney, really no player that threatens to, to pressure the quarterback consistently that an offense has to focus on in protection and in run schemes. If you, th- if you throw that in the mix, it's pretty impressive what they've been able to do. Clint, it's a unique day because back in our day, it didn't happen until February. But you now have early signing day in college football. What do you remember about signing to go to the University of Arkansas? What What do you remember about that situation? Well, man, I, I was I was convinced that's where I, I was one hundred percent convinced that's where I needed to go. I loved the, I loved the uh, fell in love with the, the, the university. I fell in love with the team, and I knew the quarterback room was was set up for me to get an opportunity to compete sooner rather than later. And so that's all I could ask for. I didn't I didn't need to be in love with the head coach. I didn't trust him. I didn't need to be in love with him. But I loved the guys that I was going to spend four to five years with. I knew my opportunity was there, and I was convinced Arkansas was the right spot. So National Signing Day was a really cool day for me, man, with my high school guys, my high school coach, my family, uh, to, to, to confidently take the next step in, in, uh, in my life and, and spend the next five years at, at, at the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville in northwest Arkansas with, with a bunch of great people in a great university. So, man, it was it was a great day for me, man. It wasn't a bunch of last-minute decisions, and, and uh, there wasn't a lot of pressure from other coaches. And so I can only imagine what some of these guys are going through, man. But for me, it was a beautiful day. Did you do the hat trick where you put the hats out and you maybe picked up the, the Texas A&M hat and then put it down, you picked up the Texas hat and put it down and put the Arkansas one on? How did you, how did you announce your signing? Which is a lot different now because of social media. Guys are doing different things. But how did you announce that you were going to Arkansas? Yeah, I, I just put the razor back on my head, man. I just put the hat on. You know what I mean? I, I didn't have a bunch to pick from. It came down between LSU and Arkansas for me. And, and uh, I, like I said, I was convinced I didn't need to play a bunch of games. I'm not one of those kind of guys anyway, man. I just, <laughs> I just sat there quietly when it came my turn. I pulled out my Razorback hat, put it on my head, and uh, became a, a, a part of Hog Nation. And so – it was pretty simple for me, brother. That's why I love you, brother. You just make you make it easy. You didn't bring out like a hog, or you didn't bring out anything like that, or have any kind of you know fakeroo or anything like that. So uh, I that, that's why I love you, man. You're the best. You just keep it simple. You keep it clean. You keep it entertaining as always, Clint. You're the best, my man. We appreciate it. And we'll talk to you again next week, my friend. You got it, baby. Thanks for having me. There he is. That's my man, Clint Sterner, coming up large on early National Signing Day. Been following the recruiting rankings. And also to talk about the Houston Texans as they get ready for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Saturday. Saturday. Please be aware it's Saturday. That'll be the 21st. And then hopefully, at some point, you will end up uh, being able to watch all kinds of games on Sunday after the Texans have won a division with a win on Saturday. That's all they got to do. Win on Saturday, win a division, and then you can sit back and well, you can watch a lot of things happen on Sunday, and it won't really matter because the Texans will have that division taken care of. Now, what about those Tampa Bay Buccaneers? We don't face them, but every four years, you can watch them on NFL primetime or see some of the highlights or know some of the guys because they went to local colleges, but we really don't know the Bucks all that well. But Casey Phillips covers the Bucks for the team. She is their version of DP City. So 
Put the two of them together. You're going to get great radio next as we go behind enemy sidelines with DP City. And this week it is Casey Phillips who will give us the skinny on a team that's banged up at one particular position that could really, really matter on Saturday. Casey Phillips going behind enemy sidelines next right here on Texans All Access. This week's Stats Challenge is brought to you by Schlumberger. Visit HoustonTexas.com today to register to take the Stats Challenge. This one's having to do with these two quarterbacks on Saturday. Jameis Winston, 2013 Heisman Trophy winner, and Deshaun Watson, national champion from the 2016 season. In the NFL, Winston's kind of been all over the place. Best of times, the worst of times. Best of times, he's thrown 30 touchdowns. That's second in the NFL, he is only behind Lamar Jackson, presumably the 2019 MVP. Jameis, 30 touchdowns. He's also thrown 24 interceptions. That is last in the league, interceptions. Sean Watson has thrown 26 touchdowns. That is tied for fourth in the league. His 11 interceptions are about middle of the pack for quarterbacks that have thrown a certain number of times. So he's thrown 11 interceptions after having thrown two last week. So 26-11 versus 30-24. and Touchdown interception ratios for your two quarterbacks. And those are your stat. That is your stats challenge brought to you by Schlumberger. All right, it's time to go behind enemy sidelines with our good friend D.P. Sue. This week she talks to her counterpart in Tampa Bay, Casey Phillips, who covers the Bucks for the Bucks. Let's get to know these Tampa Bay Buccaneers through the eyes of Casey Phillips as we go behind enemy sidelines with DP Sidhu. Casey, how's it going today? It's going great, especially coming off a four-game win streak. Everything is roses around here. I was going to say the Bucks are red hot, the win, the win streak, and then now it's a little bit of a strange short week. How are things around the building for you guys over there? Because it's not quite a Sunday game, it's not a Thursday night game, but the schedule's a bit condensed, is it not? Yeah, it's it's been a little bit hectic. Um, you know, thankfully we have a great group of guys in this locker room who love doing things in the community, which uh, they've done. They're doing about a thousand holiday events this week, which is great. But then, of course, you do have the uh, short week as well. And I know the coach. I think that was harder actually on the coaches than the players. Um, you know, they they when the players did practice on a day they would normally have off, it was more of a walkthrough, and and the coaches are doing a good job of trying to make sure that the guys' bodies are in good shape. But it was it was the coaches who really on Monday had a marathon day trying to get all of the game planning they would normally do on a Monday and Tuesday crammed into just one day. Yeah, let's talk about the coaches, particularly Bruce Arians. Year one with him, he starts off two and six. Now the Bucks are averaging twenty nine point seven points per game. Their winning games are up to, to 500 now after winning the quite a few games now here in this last stretch. Where can you really pinpoint the turnaround or a momentum shift that this team had this year? Yeah, you know, I think um, Jacksonville was a really big win for us because we were up big, which is a new thing that, you know, coaches talked about how he's, he's hated that we are the nicest team in the league, as he puts it, because we like to spot uh, teams, you know, 14 points to start a game and then have to claw our way back. So just showing that we could get up big and then it looked like the lead was going to slip away and then got it, you know, to, to hang on in there. And then it was the, the same story. Um, you know, this last week we're big lead looks like it's maybe slipping away. And, and it seems like it's this new attitude of we're going to find a way to win. Um, and that's the, it's almost like the winning is contagious mindset. And after struggling for a while, that wasn't the mindset the team had had. And, and suddenly even, even the players were saying this last week, they were like, you know, if this exact game happened, 
earlier this year or even years past, we might not have won it. But now there just seems to be this new infectious attitude of we are going to find a way to win this game. And then, of course, it's when you have a new scheme on both sides of the ball, when you have an entirely new coaching staff and you have so many rookies having to contribute in really big ways, we all knew it was going to take a little bit of time for things to really click. And somehow it just feels like offensively and defensively, the schemes and everybody buying in and really knowing their roles and jobs and duties all kind of clicked right around the same time. And unfortunately, it was just a hair too late uh, to be in playoff contention because, you know, we, we were eliminated even on a week that we won a game just because of what happened around the NFC. But it does feel like finally they all have clicked and understand their roles. It's really tremendous to see Jameis Winston in year five putting up the numbers that he's put up over 450 yards passing in back-to-back weeks. He leads the NFL in passing yards per game. What do you think has been the difference for him this year, and, and how much has Arians really adapted his style of, of offense to suit Winston? Well, yeah, I mean, this this really was a match made in heaven in so many ways. There's a reason that Bruce Arians said that a big part of why he took this job was the fact that Jameis Winston was here, that he knew that Jameis was a quarterback that would fit well in his system. He likes to throw the ball downfield and really – Jameis, we've seen a, a big improvement on his deep ball that, you know, we, we all heard how last year he and Deshaun Jackson sort of struggled to get on the same page there. And um, in this last week's game, there was a point in the game when every passing play was averaging something like 18 yards that just some of these bigger downfield plays. And you have guys like Scotty Miller, Brashad Perriman that are speed, deep threats for sure. Now, of course, Unfortunately, Scotty Miller's been placed on IR, but um, you've had some really speedy guys out there that can stretch the field, and that really, you know, has then opened up things for later on this year, like for our, our multiple tight ends that we have that can be pass catchers with OJ Howard and Cam Brait. So, um, and then you, when you have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, who now have both made the Pro Bowl, first time two wide receivers from the same team have made it on the initial ballot in a long time. It kind of makes you just go look at these defenses trying to cover all that and say, how in the world do you even go about it? So. In any given day when a team would double Mike Evans, then Chris would have a big day, or you'd somehow be able to shut both of them down. And then, you know, Brashad Perriman has a huge day as well. So it just felt like there were. Jameis did a great job of just going to whoever was open and available, not forcing things. And there are so many offensive weapons he's had that the last couple of games we've had nine players at least catch a pass from him. Uh, so there's just weapons all over the place, and he's done a great job of just going to whoever was open and not forcing things. It's really tremendous because I remember seeing Mike Evans at his pro day here at Texas A&M uh, back in 2014. And to lose a guy like that for a few games and then to still be able to step up and find your receivers, is it is it is there something about Mike Evans that either other, a number of guys can sort of step up and take his place? Or how is it that you have a group of receivers that really step up to take a place of a guy that is so talented? He was you know, a first-round draft pick and, and just – really the a stellar wide receiver maybe among the best in the league yeah um I, I don't think any of them would say that they take his place I think they all know that Mike is such a unique guy that he is huge big body tough for a, a corner to guard but he's still fast and, and can get downfield and he's just an athletic specimen and I think a lot of the guys in that locker room would say yeah we're not going to take his place but we're going to have to step up and and do more um, so, you know, losing him, you, you, you can't replace that. It is a very um, difficult thing, but that's what was so incredible to just see that not only did you have guys who could make big plays, but they were talking about how these wide receivers ended up playing in different spots than they ever had before, that because you had so many guys get hurt that Mike goes down, then Chris goes down, and Scotty goes down, that you have guys playing the X who normally play the Y and guys having to play the Z that are normally the X, and it was just all over the place. So the fact that 
something that Bruce Arians has really stressed with this offense is making sure that everyone knows everyone's jobs. And that's why that was even a possibility that they could throw even a Justin Watson, who before a couple of weeks ago only had two catches for 18 yards in his whole career with us so far, was able to step in there, get a touchdown, get you know multiple catches these last couple of games, playing all the different wide receiver spots because they all were forced to learn that along the way and not just their job they normally have. You know, with Jameis Winston, it's sort of a strange year for him. He's sort of going to be at a crossroads at the end of the season. Do you get the sense that he's really done enough this year to improve, to sort of solidify his future in Tampa Bay? I know interceptions early on were a big thing for for him, but it seems like Arians also likes to take a lot of chances, like you said, down the field. So, you know, where do you foresee the future, I guess, if you could look into a crystal ball for for what what it may hold for Jameis Winston and, and his future with Tampa Bay? Boy, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? That's That's been the story of this entire season down here in Tampa Bay is what was Jameis going to do and what's the team going to do with him. And I absolutely have no idea what their plans are going to be for him. They're, they're definitely playing that close to the vest. But you, you said it right that, you know, Bruce does take a lot of chances down the field. And there have been a lot of times that Bruce has come out in very uh, strong defense of Jameis that on games where he did have three or four interceptions maybe. And he would take everybody through each one of those and explain the ones that were on Jameis and the ones that weren't. And there was a point in time when I think Jameis had around 18 or 19 interceptions that coach said he felt like only 10 of those were actually on Jameis. And um, based on either wide receivers running the wrong route or, you know, just not making the catch and tipping it up where anybody could get it, things like that, sort of those fluky plays. Um, so, you know, it's, it's hard to really say how they're truly evaluating what he's done, but I know they don't believe that all those interceptions and mistakes are on him. And then he does have, like you said, these back-to-back games of 450-plus yards that, you know, first player in NFL history – to do that, it is really um, a challenging thing to look at as a whole and evaluate. But I know he has done a lot of really amazing things here at the end of this season that I'm sure are helping the case. But whether it's, you know, a franchise tag or a long-term deal or, or moving on, that's thing we really just don't know at this point. But he has done a lot this season that is really good, very impressive, kept the team in games, gotten them back into games when it otherwise looked impossible. And, and the guys definitely follow his leadership that, you know, I remember O.J. Howard saying recently that in a game when they were behind by a lot that, you know, he really said, hey, you know what, we're, we're going to do this. We're going to come back. And, and they believe him. They said they, they believe in him and they follow him as a leader. So there's, there's a lot to be said for that. That defense is being run by Todd Bowles over there. You mentioned a lot of young guys um, on defense. But then there's also some wily veterans there, too, and Dominican Sue in his 10th season. So it's an interesting mix of vets and young players. But when you look at a guy like Sue in his 10th year, what makes him so effective this many years in the league? And, and what does he sort of bring to that locker room and, and to a younger group of players around him? Sue is such an interesting guy and an interesting player. It's been really cool having him here. I mean, he he's just such a um, diverse guy in terms of his interests and what he's like. And he is just he really is the epitome of a veteran where he knows how to go about his business. I think the other day he was saying how he, his bedtime, no joke, is like 7.45 or 8 at night that he goes to bed <laughs> then because he wants to make sure he's all well-rested and gets up super early to, to start, you know, working on his craft. I mean, he just takes his body and everything incredibly seriously, takes, and he'll be in there studying even when other guys aren't maybe. I mean, he, he is someone that knows how to be a pro, and that is invaluable to have in a locker room. And, I mean, this is a guy who Warren Buffett is a uh, mentor of his. I mean, this he is just such a – world traveler, entrepreneur, um, you know, renaissance kind of man almost. And I think that is just such a great influence on some of these younger guys to see 
uh, not only how to prepare yourself on the field, but just to prepare yourself for even life after football. He's been a, a great role model in, in a lot of ways. And um, I think having him, especially next to Vita Vea, uh, our you know, first-round draft pick from uh, last year, was, was really big for him to just have that as a not only role model, but someone to eat up some double teams and, and give Vita a break, give some of these other guys a break that I think Sue has been double teamed more than almost any other D lineman in the league. So he's just a, a massive body that can take up a lot of other people and give other guys on the line and the outside linebackers more of a chance. Man, what I wouldn't do to go to bed at 745 every night, I think I'd be a new person I know, if I could get right? to bed that early. Hashtag goals. <laughs> Hashtag goals. All right, Casey, what are some of the storylines you're working on this week uh, on the Tampa Bay side? Uh, well, of course, the the wide receivers. I mean, that's that's and just pass catchers overall. Seeing how Jameis is going to be able to use some of these other weapons, our tight ends going to be stepping up because when you are now without, you know, Mike and and Chris and Scotty, I mean, it's just it's crazy to all of a sudden have such a rash of injuries at any at any one position. That would be really challenging. But knowing that um, you guys are bringing in a lot of offensive weapons, that something Tampa has been good at is offensive shootouts, and that's. Before all these injuries, what I would have said this game would be is, is just a complete shootout, and I would have honestly thought, you know, we, we had a pretty good chance there the way we've been playing and, and putting up in, insane numbers and stats. But now it's going to maybe be either, okay, can these other pass catchers, you know, guys that weren't really getting reps at wide receiver earlier this year, guys that have been called up from the practice squad or tight ends, can they step up and, and be enough of threats to still have a shootout? Or are we going to have to ask a lot of these really young DBs to take on your trio of wide receivers, which is an incredibly tall order for anybody, much less a group that is a lot of, of rookies back there. So I think that it's going to be if the defense can set the tone early and show that they can hang with the DeAndre Hopkins and then Will and Kenny and those guys, then um, that might relieve a lot of the pressure on some of these uh, new still cutting their teeth wide receivers. So if, if we can make it a shootout, great. If our defense can try to hang with those guys, even better. And, and I think those are going to be the two main question marks going into this weekend. Yeah, and I think I was looking at the weather. It was calling for 70% chance of rain. So that might definitely uh, change plans for both offenses if, if that's the case. Yeah, something that we are unfortunately pretty used to here, especially with training camp and everything being uh, in the rainy season and in summer for us. So maybe that'll give us a little edge over you guys who like to play indoors. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I'm not going to complain about heading to Tampa Bay in December. There's a lot of worse places we could go, that's for that sure. Is, that is a great point. That 75 part is not something not... you get in many other, many other games at this time of the year. Great stuff there from Casey and, of course, from DP. We get back. The In The Lab crew takes over talking about this one and a trip down memory lane from 2011. Welcome back to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris, your host, ball analyst and sideline reporter for your Houston Texans, and one half of the In the Lab podcast that is sweeping the nation or sweeping Houston. Either way, however you want to look at it, nation, Houston, it's kind of one and the same anyways. I mean, Houston's all that matters. But Drew Doherty and I sit down each and every week, and we break bread and we talk about the Certain aspects of things going on with the team. We'd like to geek out, nerd out, and bring in some stats and talk about some things, go a little deeper on some things than we might otherwise. And we decided to take a little walk down memory lane, if you will, as we get ready for this game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Johnny, you like going down memory lane, don't you? Oh, absolutely. So let's stroll down memory lane to 2011. Ooh, the Texans. It was a long time ago. They were facing a bye, but before that bye, they had to play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 
At that point, Tampa was kind of huddling or hugging 500, a little bit below 500. Yeah. They had Albert Hainsworth in the middle. He had just come <laughs> down from Washington yeah. after a year, year and a half. He was there, and he was somebody you had to worry about. But on the whole, this was not a, a, a strong Buccaneers team. Texans went in and blasted them. And my main memory of that day is a lot of open space for Arian Foster. Had a good game in that one. But after the game and, and in the years that have passed, that will be remembered as the game in which the Texans lost Matt Schaub. Yep. The very, very end, his uh, foot was, like, I guess, I don't know what happened to it. Got crunched in a pile, had a Liz Franck injury, Liz Frank injury. And um, the next day, we didn't realize it until the very next day, when Gary Kubiak came into the Monday afternoon press conference around 2.30 and said, well, we're going to be without Schaub the rest of the way because of his this Liz Frank injury, so uh, it's on to Matt Leinart. Yeah. Matt Leinart. I don't know why I said Leinart. Leinart, because he had a yeah. Leinart. Yeah, he did. He had a Leinart and a bulky shoulder because yeah. that, that shoulder, that collarbone, I can't remember if it was a collarbone or whatever, but he got crunched about a quarter and a half in at Jacksonville two weeks later. Yeah. And in came T.J. Yates, and we all remember what happened. But I just remember open field and Arian Foster having a big afternoon in Tampa Bay. And it was a fun, fun trip because I didn't know what – nobody really knew what had happened to Schaub. Yeah. And we left Tampa Bay with a win. It's always sweet when you leave a win. But it's even sweeter when it's a, a road win before a bye week. Yeah. We've, we've experienced that this year with the Texans and yep. London. It's just sweet knowing that – you got two weeks to relish a win during the bye. Yeah, that one, I remember the announcement. And, you know, it's one of those things where when you're in the building or you're, you know, on the plane, you know, travel with the team, you know, sometimes you see things that, you know, you see things other people don't see. Yeah. And I remember, I can't remember somebody saying that when they got on the plane and they saw Schaub, they were like, oh, no. So they knew. I didn't know until it got tweeted out that day. I was doing my, my radio show, and I see that tweeted out, and I'm like, huh? What? Wait a second. Shop's out! Yeah. Like, I was furious, because I felt like, this team could do it, man. This they team rolling. Is, they're yeah. starting to roll. They looked really good in that Tampa Bay game. They were hitting deep balls. They just, they guys were wide open. It was, I mean, it fourth, was, it was their fourth straight win. Yeah. And they go on to beat really Jacksonville. They go on to beat Atlanta. They go right. on to beat the Bengals. Right. And it was a team that was kind of catching fire, and now all of a sudden, like, I was I was pretty excited about Matt Liner. Like, I, I want to see Matt get a chance, and he got not even a half before he gets injured. And then it's like, well, all right, Rook, see what you got. Mm-hmm. And then T.J. Yates became <laughs> a, a, a legend. I mean, he, he really, really did. He became a freaking legend winning that Jags game. The game back here against Atlanta, uh, which you know, I believe he's from that area, yep, yep. and the beating Atlanta, and then going to Cincinnati, and obviously what we remember about that game. I mean, that game will live you know forever. Texans led for two seconds. Two seconds. That game, and it was the final two seconds. It, it, you know, to see what he did, and then of course you know he comes back in fifteen and won that game at Cincinnati and helped get this team to the playoffs. I remember him beating Terrell Revis, but. You know, it all stemmed back to that trip to Tampa in 2011 when the Texans got that win there. So this will be – I've got three stadiums left, Drew. Yeah. You, this three. Tampa, Chicago, and Detroit. Oh. That's it. And that's that's next year. But Chicago I've got, and Detroit are fun ones. I've been to – I went to the old Sombrero. 
I saw Wisconsin. My buddy was playing Wisconsin. My parents had come to Florida. We went to see Wisconsin play Duke in the 1994, at the time, it was called the Hall of Fame game. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. And so it was on New Year's Day. Uh-huh. So we went It was down. like an early New Year's Day game. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my buddy had picked six uh, early into the game. And then like two or three plays later, he got hit, had a hit pointer, missed the rest of the game. Huh. So, but he got that pick six early in Wisconsin, ended up winning. It was that was a fun team to watch. But I was at the old Sombrero. I've not been to Raymond James, and I'm looking forward to it. However, 70% chance of rain for the I day. I saw that. That's, yeah. uh, at, least, at least it'll be a little warm. It won't be cold rain. Yeah. It'll be kind of warm, lukewarm rain. Make sure you try the Bananas Foster up in the press box beforehand if they have that going. Ooh. That's a big deal. There, yeah, I'm all say. about Bananas Foster. All right, let's wrap this up by getting into our – what terrifies you, but not really terrifies you, but terrifies you about the Bucks? I mean, you're not terrified of any team, but there are terrifying things about teams, right? Yeah. I'll tell you this, and it's um, everyone's talked about Jameis Winston and the big yardage he's had. Yeah. The last few games on the season, this is an explosive offense. Yep. 81 explosive plays, and by this definition that I saw, there are many. There, there's a few different definitions of explosive plays, but this one is. A rush of 15 yards or more and a pass of 20 yards or more. Sometimes people do it, a rush of 10 or more and a pass of 25. But this is 15-yard rush, 20-yard pass. They've got 81 of those combined. That's second in the NFL. I know we've got to be close. I know Kansas City's up there. If we're close, we're not in like the top seven or eight. Gotcha. So you know what terrifies me, John? Shaquille Barrett. 16 and a half sacks, double-digit tackles for loss, He's he's having a JJ Watt like season. Yeah. Different player, obviously, but this guy is racking up the numbers like in a vintage JJ Watt yeah. way, like last year, like 2012 through 2015. He is scary. He's a game wrecker. Yep. What that does, not just when he gets the sacks, gets a tackle for the loss, he's going to get some pressure. Yep. So Deshaun's got to be careful. Deshaun's got to be able to make sure he's clean with the football. Texans on the whole need to be clean with the football, but. Watch out for Shaq Barrett. Yeah, and people say, well, who's Shaq Barrett? He was essentially a backup to Vaughn Miller and Bradley Chubb in Denver. Isn't that amazing? He was just – but whenever you watched him, you realized this guy can rush the quarterback. He was uh-huh. kind of like Denver's version of Jake Martin. Like, you watch him and go, that dude can rush the quarterback. I know that. Mm-hmm. I know that for sure. That dude's got some juice. And I remember facing him in preseason, and there would be times where, like, man, 48 is killing us, killing us. And Shaq Barrett – and then he ends up going to Tampa Bay. You know what he is, kind of? He's like a poor man's version of what James Harden was in Oklahoma City. Yeah. Harden, I, I, was, Harden I, was obscured by Westbrook and Durant. He right. went somewhere else, and he was the man. Now, he's not that. I'm, I'm not saying he's the MVP. Right, 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 right. But it's a, he's like a poor man's version yeah, of that. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Now that he's not in those guys' shadow, he's not right. blocked by those two, he's getting the PT, and he's putting yeah. up the results. Well, and here's the other thing, too, is with Vita Vea and, and Dom Sue on the inside, sheesh. If you want to step up in the pocket, that's hard. You know, if Barrett rushes high, well, okay, you step underneath that and get out. Well, you don't have a lot of room to grow because a lot of room to go because Vea and Sue are going to be pushing that thing. Mm-hmm. So it allows Barrett to kind of just pin his ears back and go and just use his speed. So you got to count from that. If he rushes from the right side, he'll be going against Laramie Tunsil. So that'd be a matchup, uh, really, to watch. If he goes from the other side, you know, whether it's Chris Clark or Rod Johnson, they got to 
they've got to be ready for that speed. Yeah. They've really got to be ready for that speed and then get some help if they decide to go back to the inside, chips, whatever the case might be. But that is going to be a big key is blocking that guy off the edge, Shaq Barrett. So what terrifies you, but doesn't terrify you, but terrifies you, you know? I think it's just Jameis Winston's inconsistency yeah. because Jameis can look bad for a stretch and then all of a sudden he can go to the sidelines, get a drink of Gatorade, come back out, and then look like good Jameis. And it's like you don't know which one you're going to get. And I'm sure it's maddening for Bruce Arians and the Bucks. I mean, the first drive against the Lions – they get a first down, and then he throws a pass that has no chance of getting it, that no chance of being complete. Jelani Tyvai picks it off for the Lions. Away you go. What does he do over the rest of the quarter? He throws for 191 yards in the quarter and two touchdowns. So it was like he went from bad Jameis to good Jameis, like in the matter of an interception. Like what? Ha- like what happened? And that that to me is scary. That's very scary. And I was people said about the Texans, like, oh, we're inconsistent. We're this. We're that. And like, yeah, we have we have periods of that for sure. Jameis will do it all in the same play. He'll do it all in the same drive. He'll do it all in the same quarter. He'll do it all in the same game. You know, and so that's what's dangerous to me about them. He was described back in 1994 in a great motion picture. He's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. No player epitomizes that more than Jameis Winston. He is equal parts scary as all get out and sort of, well, you kind of wait for him to give you something. And hopefully there's more of that. Maybe he's more into giving mood because it's holiday season on Saturday. We'll find out. All right, we get back. It's time for our Men Behind the Mic series. This one's fun. I've been looking forward to this one all season long. Gene Deckeroff is the voice of the Bucks. He's also the voice of the Seminoles. And he has been the voice of the Seminoles for a long time, such that when the Seminoles and the Canes were playing tremendous games in the late 90s and early 2000s, and Mark Vandermeer was the voice of the Canes, Gene and Mark would call those games, and they were fan fantastic stuff back then they will meet again on saturday and they will talk next right here on texans all access let's not waste any time and get to the two men that'll make the call on saturday mark vandermeer the voice of the texans with gene deckeroff the voice of the tampa bay buccaneers mark give me a little gauge here of how you're looking forward to this one with the buccaneers roaring with a four-game winning streak <laughs> uh, the four-game win streak is uh go back to 2016 and we had a nice streak of five in a row uh, we won six of our last eight, still missed the playoffs, finishing nine and seven. But uh, then the following year, we dropped back to five and eleven, and five and eleven coaching change, and now all of a sudden, after starting off uh, very poorly, uh, losing some games perhaps early in the season that uh, we would win right now, uh, we we got this little mini streak going, and uh, I think the fan base of the Buccaneers in Tampa is very fired up. We'll find out now. You know, Christmas holiday shopping and all that, uh, notwithstanding, uh, don't know what the uh, crowd is going to be like at Raymond James Stadium. But I would think that uh, a lot of Buccaneer fans that have been, you know, questioning this team, questioning the new coaching staff, questioning Jameis Winston, are probably coming around and saying, you know what? Let's go out there and check out the Buccaneers on a Saturday afternoon, and then we'll do our shopping on Sunday. I, I think we'll have a good crowd. I, you know, Mark, I, I know at Houston, when, when, when the when the Texans play a football game, it's going to be ninety five percent Houston Texan fans. The last three, four, maybe five home Buccaneers games, there's been almost as many opposing team fans as there have been Buccaneer fans. Got to get that changed around, and maybe a win streak will help. Well, that's also part of living in Florida, where a lot of people like yeah. to visit, of course. Gene Deckerhoff, voice of the Buccaneers, joining us. What is different about the team now as opposed to earlier, and what is different about Jameis Winston now as you see him on this tear? 
they're playing with uh, more confidence than, than, than they played with maybe early on. It, it, when you have a coaching change, it's tough. I mean, you got new schemes, you got new new vocabulary. I mean, all the stuff you read about, and you hear about. You you've been in the business long enough. It's all this, this new this, new that, new this. You know, and you got to absorb that. You got to figure out a way to win. And that's where that culture word comes in. You hear the culture word more at the college level than you do at the NFL level. But uh, Bruce Arians said that we've got to change the culture. We've got to learn how to win football games. And, and, and winning uh, begets wins and begets wins. And it, it's so true. And then uh, rookie cornerbacks and rookie uh, defensive backs uh, have come of age now, you know. Uh, when they were in college a year ago, they played a 12-game schedule, maybe a bowl, 13 games. Uh, so you get to that week 10, week 11, week 12, and these guys are no longer rookies, no longer freshmen, okay, in the college level, no longer rookies. And the secondary has picked up its pace. I mean, we give up some big plays. I mean, good golly, against uh, uh, the last two home games, we've given up a long bomb, and there's not been a single safety or quarter near the guy that made the catch. So they're still learning how to play football. But importantly, they're communicating better. Bruce Arians in his press conference uh, after the win in Detroit said that the secondary communicated better in that ball game than they had in any ball game previous, and he likes the way that, that young secondary is coming along. I'll tell you another thing, and I was thinking about this today, and I haven't read about this, but, uh, Mark, uh, we started off sort of sluggish, get halfway through the season, and all of a sudden our best pass rusher of a year ago, Jason Pierre-Paul, comes off the injury list, the non-football injury list. He was involved in a car accident, uh, had a broken bone in his, in his neck, uh, declined surgery. The doctor said you might need surgery. Maybe you get by. He rehabbed. He comes back. In fact, the very first play that he took a snap, he recorded a quarterback sack. And uh, mm. maybe that has been a big help and the reason why the Buccaneers have had success over the last four or five weeks. We played good football. The only team that has really blown out the Buccaneers are the New Orleans Saints. Now, you look at the scores of the Saints. The game in New Orleans, they won by seven. But the Buccaneers scored a touchdown very late in that ball game. It was really a two-score, a two-touchdown uh, win by New Orleans, and they came to our place. Same thing, two-touchdown win over the Buccaneers. But hey, the New Orleans Saints may be as good a football team as there is in the National Football League this year. So the only two games that the Bucks have really uh, been beaten by more than a one one possession game is the, those two games against the New Orleans Saints. Uh, my language is rough. It are the two games against the New Orleans Saints? So the Bucks have hung around, hung around. And now they're winning football games and uh, playing with confidence. Jameis is a much more confident quarterback now than he was uh, in, say, week two, week three, or one. Good guy on that trip to London where he threw five interceptions. Good guy. Gene Deckerhoff, voice of the Buccaneers, joining us. Now, Gene, they're going, things are going well, a lot better now for the Buccaneers. Take me back to the Gruden era for a moment because we see uh-huh. him in Oakland now, and he was in Oakland before he was with Tampa Bay and he won the Super Bowl. How do fans in Tampa feel about Gruden? What's the relationship like? Because I know you've seen him around with the broadcasting industry and then back with the NFL as a head coach of the Raiders. Yeah, I'll say this. When uh, John Gruden, it's amazing how the, the network schedule these things. Uh, uh, but John was uh, enshrined of the Tampa Bay Buccaneer Ring of Honor. And uh, ESPN scheduled a Monday night game where he could come back and be enshrined in the Ring of mm-hmm. Honor. Huge roars. The, the, the town of Tampa love. Hey. The only Super Bowl championship trophy, the Lombardi trophy the Buccaneers have in one Buccaneer place, was a result of John Gruden's first year as a coach in 2002. 
and uh, that, the pound the rock. That was the thing. Pound the rock. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget. They pounded that rock. Uh, they they carried a big old mark. They carried a big old rock with them everywhere they went on the road, and they had it in the locker room. Before they go out, somebody would pound on that dead. Uh, I didn't see it, but I mean, I saw it on video. But mm. uh, it, that 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 was the bond. And, and you know what? The Bucks played decent football after we won the Super Bowl. They did a one more playoff game, and all of a sudden uh, we did a nosedive the final year that uh, uh, Don was our head coach. And I forget the year it was. I want to say it was like 2007. 2008, somewhere in that range, but uh, we had a chance. We needed one more win, and we went 0 for 4 in December, and we missed the playoffs, and uh, that was the beginning of the end for us. I think John lasted one more year, and uh, then after the season ended, I got a phone call. Mark, like we're talking on this on the telephone, I got a phone call. It was about 6.15 my time. I think I was cooking something in the kitchen, and uh, a fellow from Atlanta said, hey, Gene, can we get you off for a few minutes? Talk about the firing of John Green. I said, what? what are we talking about? Mm. And uh, so uh, about, uh, I said, I, I can't talk about it because I, I, I don't know anything official. And about 30 minutes later, the Buccaneers released uh, the, the, the press release that uh, John Gruden had been relieved of his duties, and uh, uh, Raheem Morris had been elevated to head coach. And uh, that's uh, all of a sudden the coaching carousel began. Raheem lasted two years, and then uh, Greg Shiano lasted two years, Lenny Smith lasted two years, Dirk Cutter lasted three, and now. Uh, head coach Bruce Arians. So uh, since John Gruden has been, so to answer your question, that's a lot of words. But I think the city of Tampa, the entire Tampa Bay area, appreciate what John Gruden was able to do, and they will always cheer him. Now, when we play them in Las Vegas next year, Buccaneer fans are not going to be okay, booing him. Mm. But uh, oh, yeah. that's that's my. And, and, and as far as I'm concerned, John Gruden, I learned a lot of football from John Gruden. He was always available to talk about football, talk about X's and O's. If you wanted to listen, he'd tell you. And uh, so I, I tip my hat to John Gruden. Jay Gruden, I, I did Jay Gruden games when he was a quarterback in the arena football game. I did them on television. And I've known the Gruden family forever. In fact, when John Gruden was uh, hired to, to work ESPN, he called me and said, gee, we need to get together and have lunch. i got to learn what, it, what i got to do on the broadcast booth to do these broadcasts. I said, Coach, just be yourself. You're going to be a hit. He was, and I was shocked when he got into broadcasting. He could have had that job for life. Uh, well, Gene, I guess he could have that Las Vegas job for life, too. I don't know. That's what the contract says. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what it says. It's a lot of money, too. <laughs> Gene Deckerhoff joining us, voice of the Buccaneers and Florida State and Florida Sports Hall of Fame member. Now, Gene, take me to your life as a college announcer and an NFL announcer. And I know you get asked this a lot, but you've always been able to do both games on a yeah. given weekend. Is it urban legend that you've taken the owner's plane from time to time, like back in the day, or is, is that a myth? No, 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 no. Hey, Mark, that's West Durham, Atlanta Falcons. Uh, he, he's flown on Mr. Blank's plane. Not, I, I, I don't <laughs> even know if, if the Glazer family owns a plane or has a lease on a plane, to be honest with you. They, they probably do. I'm, I'm, but, hey, before I answer that question, let me go back to John Drew. When he began his career with ESPN, I watched every game, you know, and I, I, I made little notes and I, I – text him to him. At one time, he used a call that was a big hit down on the field. You know, I forget which game it was. And Coach Gruden says, boy, that was an ACDC hit. And I thought, man, I broke that down. Mm. At halftime, I texted him. I said, you're doing a great job, Coach. Tell me about this ACDC hit. And he texted back. Now, this is halftime. He texted me back. He says, that meant it was a loud hit, Gene. And I said, can I use that in the broadcast? He says, only if you can let me use fire them cannons. But uh, <laughs> have, you ever used, have you ever used, Mark, in your broadcast an ACDC hit? No, you know I say rock and roll sometimes, and I won't say fire the cannons because that's good for the Buccaneers. <laughs> you don't have any cannons. You don't yeah. have any cannons in the dome. Of yeah. Okay. All right. So now back to the question. Uh, Sleepless in Tallahassee. That's basically the 
the name of the game because, you know, I live, it's four and a half hours from Tallahassee. Well, you might not know this, but it's four and a half hours from my home to Raymond James Stadium. And uh, my wife and I leave every Sunday morning for home games at 6.05 and uh, arrive at 10.35 and uh, begin the broadcast at noon. And uh, after the game, we stay in Tampa and then return home on uh, on uh, sun, uh, on Monday mornings, uh, but uh, I have a talk show to do on Monday nights with the, the college football coach in Tallahassee, so you can't just sort of lollygag uh, uh, back and stop at Cedar Key and have lunch or Crystal River and have some good seafood. you, you got to beeline back to Tallahassee and get your preparation underway to, to at least sound like you know what you're talking about on the, the talk show, but uh, away games, the same thing. There's a fight that leaves at 6.15 a.m. Tallahassee time. And uh, generally, uh, you may have to run through the Atlanta airport, but you make your connection and, uh, and get to uh, uh, the site where you're playing. This year, uh, and this is one of the more difficult seasons because we played the NFC West. And, uh, Mark, I'm so glad that I broadcast in the eastern time zone, east of the Mississippi River, and I, 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 my, my, mm-hmm. my thoughts and prayers go out to our colleagues that have to broadcast from the NFC or the AFC West because they're flying to the east more than they're flying to the west, Okay. And uh, But anyway, the Seattle game, uh, Florida State plays Miami. Thank God it's a 12 noon game, so maybe I'll get about three hours rest before i got to get on a plane. And uh, I get back from the game, and I'm going over some notes. I'm reading some uh, stuff on my phone. All of a sudden, American Airlines says, hey, your flight's been changed from Tallahassee. No longer is it going to leave at 5, 510 in the morning. It's going to leave at 717. I'll miss my connection in, in, in Charlotte. The first time, the only time this year I've booked American because it was the only way to get to Seattle uh, before kickoff. And so I get this note. I call my broadcast manager who's having dinner in Seattle. I said, I, my place, I can't make it to the trip. How, what? He said, hold on, let me see what I can do. As a backup, he had an Alaskan Airlines flight that was leaving Atlanta, Georgia at 630 in the morning. Would arrive in Seattle at 1015 give or take a few minutes. And he says, let me see if I can book that. He booked it. Now, getting me from here to Atlanta, uh, number one, it worked all day, so I'm not ready to drive. Uh, I got nobody in the family. Though. I had one son that went to the football game and tailgated all day. He's not ready to drive. Mm-hmm. My youngest son worked with me in the broadcast. He's not going to drive me five hours to Atlanta. So uh, and the limo services were all booked because it was FSU Miami weekend. And so uh, I, I looked on my phone. I got an Uber account. And I uh, dialed up Uber and uh, one driver said, yeah, I can do it. And then all of a sudden, that driver reneged and said, no, I'm not, I can't do that. And I called another, and that driver said, yes, I can do it. And so uh, uh, 35 minutes later, I'm in an Uber car driving to Atlanta. And four hours later, I'm at an empty Atlanta airport at 4.15 in the morning waiting for that 6.30 flight to Seattle. Did the broadcast and then took the red eye back to Tallahassee so I could do a talk show. But that was the toughest one of this year and one of the toughest ones in the 31 years I've been doing this. That's just incredible stuff. Gene Deckerhoff, legendary voice of the Buccaneers and the Florida State Seminoles. So Florida State is in the Sun Bowl, you told me, and you haven't played. It's only the Tiger Sun Bowl. Okay, yeah, i got to get the sponsor right. And the Seminoles have not played in El Paso since, what, Burt Reynolds was in the program, something like that? No, uh, Burt played. In fact, the first bowl game that Florida State went to outside the state of Florida was a Sun Bowl, and Burt Reynolds was on that team. They did not play very well. They got beaten that one. And then uh, later, uh, Larry Jones was the head coach of the early 70s. And that team went out and got beat in the Sun Bowl. And it must have had an effect on the Knowles. The next year, we went 0-11. And Larry was let go, and uh, new coaching staff was brought in. Uh, Daryl Mudra came in after 1974. And uh, so uh, the Sun Bowl has been – we're 0-2 in the Sun Bowl. 
Maybe we'll not you went over Arizona State. Herm Edwards, the head coach, and Herm was on uh, Tony Dungy's staff at Tampa Bay, and uh, obviously we know him as head coach of the National Football League. What two or three? I know the Jets. Uh, I think uh, was it the Trey. He's been a head coach of the league, and now he's in the college game. And, and looking at this bowl game, Mark, I mean, uh, I've still got a lot of research to do. I'm, getting, I'm, I'm working on Houston, Tampa Bay right now. At a basketball game last night, and so uh, I'm. At, this that time of the year, mm-hmm. but uh, Herm's got three freshman quarterbacks on his roster, and the starting quarterback's a true freshman. The backup quarterback, a redshirt freshman. The thirteen quarterback is a freshman. Yet he's been able to go seven and seven and five, four and five in the Pac-12 and get a bowl bid. And uh, oh, on his resume, they knocked off sixth-ranked Oregon. Uh, late in the season to uh, ambush Oregon uh, at, at home at, at Death Valley. So uh, uh, Sun Devil Stadium, I guess, not Death Valley, Sun Devil Stadium. So uh, it, it's going to be an interesting ball game. Florida State now may not have, I know Cam Akers, who is going to be a pro prospect, probably uh, probably second, third round. Uh, had, he had a better offensive line, might be a late first round. But uh, all I know is he, he rushed for more yards to the freshman than Dalvin Cook did. And uh, Dalvin Cook's having a pretty good NFL career. But anyway, Cam's not going to play in the bowl game. A couple of other players aren't. And uh, uh, the second team running back was suspended for the Florida game. He's not practicing during pre-bowl practice. So that's Kalen Labor. And I don't know if he's going to be what his status is. I'll find out from the coach tomorrow. But uh, uh, So we may not have a running back. You may see about 55 passes if you watch that game on uh, CBS TV. Gene, our listeners know that I go back to the University of Miami, and you and I were yeah. part of some big games, uh, you doing the Knowles and me broadcasting the Hurricanes games. And let me yeah. ask you this, uh, your thoughts on that era, because Florida State was so dominant for so long, so many top five finishes. And also, oh, yeah. let me throw this in there as well. Will the Hurricanes, if the Florida State Seminoles can win a national championship again like they did with Jameis Winston, can the Hurricanes do it as well, or is it just too tough right now to get back to that level for them? Your thoughts? Well, you know, here's, here's something that's going on. Uh, Howard Schnellenberger put together a program down there, and he put that brick wall around, you know, uh, uh, Broward County and Dade County. If we want a player in this area, we're keeping that kid here. And uh, Jimmy Johnson did the same thing, and then uh, uh, Dennis Erickson did the same thing, and, and then all of a sudden they started going through coaches. And uh, they've been going through coaches a lot longer than Florida State, and, and, and that's caused them some problems. Uh, Manny, Manny Diaz is the coach down there now, but, you know, he, he had a couple of bad losses at this season. They're going to a bowl, but uh, Miami faithful are very uh, – you know this for a few broadcasts of games. Uh, they want you to win everything. Mm-hmm. I remember when Mark Rick was the head coach of the Miami, and I, I know Mark personally. He's uh, one of the one of the greatest guys I've been around. He's a Bobby Bowden disciple. He worked at Florida State and success at Georgia, you know. But when he gets the job at Miami, Warren Sapp, a Miami Hurricane, through and through, I see him at Buccaneer practice, uh, preseason practice, and uh, we're talking Miami. He always does. Uh, Miami, Florida State. And I said, you got a good coach. He said, hey, gee. And I won't use his language, but... <laughs> But Mark, he said, "What's he ever done?" I said, "Well, he won. He won three SEC, two, three SEC championships." What's that mean? What's that mean? What's he done? That's Warren Sapp. Okay, if you don't win national championships, they want somebody else. Wow. And so I don't know if you're ever going to change that culture. I, I, I know maybe Manny will. I, he's a he's a local kid from Miami, so maybe he'll change it. But same thing in Florida. You know, Urban Meyer won two championships, and everybody thinks the next coach is going to win a championship. Uh, they got a good coach at Dan Mullen. He's beaten Florida State twice after we had a nice, nice little run of five straight over the uh, Florida Gators. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, but Florida State's feeling that same situation. You had Bobby Bowden for 34 years. 
You had Bobby for 34 years. He won two national championships, and you mentioned Miami, Florida State. Hey, if we don't go wide right two years in a row and wide left a year and then wide short one year, Bobby Mayo won six national championships against wow. Miami, okay? Mm-hmm. But uh, Jimbo comes in, and in year three, he wins a national championship, but he takes a job. Uh, he takes a job at Texas A&M, and Florida State goes up, bringing Willie Taggart. The Taggart era lasts a you know, season and a half. And uh, now we got Mike Novell, who has had tremendous success at Memphis. And from what I've seen uh, here, in fact, we're speaking on national, you know, early signing day, a uh, uh, good day of recruiting for the Seminoles, despite the coaching change. And uh, he's, a, he's accumulated a pretty dead gum good staff. And I, I can't wait to see how this staff uh, uh, rebuilds Florida State football. You're always thinking positive when you have a coaching change. You know the old saying, the king is dead, God bless the queen, you know, God save the king or whatever. Uh, so when the coaching change, the same thing. One coach is gone, you got a new coach, and everybody feels like, hey, this is a national championship program. Let's go win one. A big thanks to Gene for joining us, as well as Mark, to Drew Doherty, to DPC, to Casey Phillips, to Andre Ware, to Clint Sterner, to all of you for listening. We will see you tomorrow. And as always, go Texans.